How has working from home been going for you? Remarkably Remote from GoToMeeting will help you succeed in today's new normal. In just three minutes or less, we'll share simple but helpful tips to keep you on track. From managing your motivation, workload, and relationships to hosting and attending virtual events that keep you connected with your clients and colleagues. So check out Remarkably Remote on your favorite podcasting platform or head to gotomeeting.com slash tips. Welcome to Rates and Barrels, episode number 97. It's May 21st. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. On this episode, we are going to turn over some stones, and uh, we're not allowed to spit or lick our fingers while doing it. We're going to adhere to the proposed safety guidelines that uh, Major League Baseball put out last weekend. I think maybe licking fingers was shadow banned on this pod anyway, you know, so not too worried about that being a, a major issue. We are allowed to grab our cups like Russ Ortiz, though. Yeah, there's no no rule against that. Uh, it would fall into the discouraged category, but not not outright banned. <laughs> a lot of things were discouraged in that uh, set of, of ideas and protocols, I guess we'll call them. Uh, but it's memorabilia week at The Athletic as well, so I just wanted to point out there are some really fun pieces that have been going up on the site. I think one of my favorite ideas of the year is the $50 eBay challenge that Levi Weaver wrote about, which I'm pretty sure was the brainchild of our our friend and, and boss, Nando Defino. Um, you can basically do this with any number of friends, and not counting shipping, you spend up to $50 on select random items on eBay, and then you find a group of judges to rate the haul that each person put together, which seems like both a great potential distraction that you could put a lot of time into uh, and a way to you know build up your collection a little bit along the way, put some cool stuff on the walls or cool stuff on your desk uh, in that process. Yeah, yeah. I uh, want to stay away from any more obsessions uh, because my wife is going to bankrupt us in Etsy flowers, flowers she's bought off of Etsy. And I just don't want to go to, I, I started a little bit of an eBay thing. I was going to go buy basically the entire works of Miyazaki, um, who directed Spirited Away and, um, uh, how's, how's moving castle, I think it's was, it was called. And, uh, my neighbor Totoro. Anyway, great, great anime. Really cool stuff that's hard to find. But I found it on Amazon Prime, and so I put the computer down, and I backed away. <laughs> Probably for the best, given the Etsy flowers that are, are taking over uh, your household. Are those fake flowers? Yeah. Nope. Nope. Just rare, weird flowers. Mm-hmm. Well, I did, I did uh, also figure out the... Um, what happened with the the card that we're talking about that I pulled out of the pack? I think the funny thing is you and I each were recalling a completely different card. Like I was, instead of the Ryan Sandberg, so on the last episode we talked about Ryan Sandberg's rookie card, and we thought there was one from one of the manufacturers that was Sandberg with someone else, and there isn't. The card I was thinking of was the Alan Trammell Paul Molitor rookie card, which was a few uh-huh. years earlier and also had two other players, UL Washington and I want to say like Mickey Clutter, someone I'd never even heard of before. But uh, that was the card that my friend had that I thought also had Sandberg on it, but that was obviously not Sandberg's rookie card. 
Yeah. So now I'm just like questioning my own, my own brain and my own recollections because I'm pretty sure I pulled Ryan Sandberg out of a pack, which means that I might have picked my other card, the multi rookie that I was thinking of, which was the Cal Ripken rookie card that does not have as great a second or third person on it. Uh, it is also the Bob Bonner uh, rookie card and the Jeff Schneider rookie card. So, um, Ripken, uh, suffice it to say, was the uh, best of the group. Um, and I kind of feel like I pulled that one out of a pack, too, which seems improbable for a plucky 12-year-old to pull both a Ryan Sandberg and a Cal Ripken rookie card out of packs, um, you know, seven to ten years later than they came out. That does seem somewhat but- unlikely. So maybe just one of them I pulled out of the pack. Anyway, uh, they're both pretty sweet cards. And then looking through, I found cards I like even more because I found my Ozzie Smith rookie, my Dave Winfield rookie, and my Greg Maddox Donruss rookie. And the Greg Maddox Donruss rookie is so awesome because he has a porn stash in it. <laughs> he does. It, um, that stash doesn't look good on most people, but it also doesn't look good on Greg Maddox. It looks he looks nothing like what I think of as Greg Maddox. Like he does not look anything like Greg Maddox. Like you could put a totally different name on this one. Uh but Ozzy and Dave Winfield just look cool as crap, dude. I mean, they've just got these sideburns, these thousand yard stares, and uh they're wearing uh, uh Ozzy's wearing the the brown and yellow uh old school San Diego, um, outfit. And, uh, and so is, so is Dave Winfield. Those those sideburns that Ozzy's got on his rookie card are awesome. Did they play together? Were they teammates? Uh, 78. Was Winfield still on the Padres in 78? Yeah. That's a whole lot of cool for one team, dude. Yeah. Whew. Absolutely. And then I found my Dominique Wilkins rookie card and dude my friend is uh is getting into it and is trying to buy all of the Fleer um 8788 or 8687 uh set the Jordan and oh must be and I was like oh you know I have a bunch of Fleer and I looked and they're all like 90s the early 90s and then I looked through my better my best cards and found this Dominique Wilkins rookie, and I was like, dude, I can't give it to you. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I hated Michael Jordan growing up. Dominique Wilkins was the man. Dominique Wilkins and Patrick Ewing were my dudes, and it was kind of painful uh, to be a basketball fan and love Dominique Wilkins and Patrick Ewing. But that's that was my lot in life. Patrick Ewing was Jamaican, so I've... You know, I had no choice. And Dominique Wilkins was so exciting to watch. And I couldn't believe, like, we'd lose all these games. He'd do these games where it'd just be him against Larry Bird or him against Michael Jordan. And it would seem like he was matching them. And I would be like, why is John Konkak our center? (laughs) If only John Konkak was not our center, we would be winning these games. So I hated John Konkak. 
Always, always have a scapegoat, I think, is the, the moral of, of that story. But uh, I also grew up in a household that rooted against Jordan because my family growing up in West Michigan were all Detroit Pistons fans. And, oh, and yeah. you know, Jordan's peak, kind of before the Jordan Bulls took over the league, they had to take the mantle away from the bad boy Pistons teams, which... Thomas Dumars... And Rodman was on those teams as well. And, it you know, Vinnie oh, Johnson, yeah. Mark Aguirre... Uh, those were those were some great series. That was actually one of my favorite 30 for 30s was the the Bad Boys Pistons one. Uh, Rick Mahorn was part of that as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when we moved to Illinois for a year, I was in middle school. That was the year the Jordan Bulls went 72 and 10, which was just a totally obnoxious time to be surrounded by Bulls fans uh, if you were a Pistons fan. In hindsight, of course, I now appreciate just how amazing the, the, that team was, but um, I'd, I've never really seen anything like that, and I've only lived in the upper Midwest, but the people that lived on my block in the Chicago suburbs, they would have big parties, big gatherings for regular season Bulls games. They're just like, you know, a dozen plus people coming over to watch a game. That's amazing. I don't know if that happens frequently anywhere. Do, do Warriors fans get together and do that? Social media has a little bit of something to do with that, right? I mean, like, now we don't have to go to each other's houses to, like, you know, tag someone and be like, oh, snap. (laughs) (laughs) Is that all that was happening in in situations when people were watching (laughs) games together? Just a bunch of, oh, oh, snap. People were just tweeting with their their mouths back then. (laughs) Tweeting with their mouths. Wow. Oh god, it's hilarious too because we can't hang out with each other. Yeah, <laughs> it makes it makes it all the more oh. weird. Well, you can. Jeez, you can, when are you going to go to the bar and swap spit with your? Uh, no, you wouldn't do that. You have to. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm going to play things safe. That's kind of how I live my life, which you know, for better or for worse, is how I've always sort of gone. About how often it. were you going to the bar before? Right? Yeah, I, I don't spend a lot of time there anyway. But uh, although breweries, you would go to breweries and have some beers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and a lot of times you go outside for those, and it, it's a reasonably mm-hmm. safe environment, comparatively speaking. If you can get out to a patio, and th- there will be a time for that. I'm not quite there yet. Some people are, but I'm definitely not quite there just yet. Uh, but it's nice. It's nice that we've talked about just being able to get out more, just to walk, you know, hang out with the dog, you doing stuff with your kids. Like It's helped lift the spirits the last couple of weeks. Um, but speaking of Chicago, mentioning the Jordan Bulls and my family's disdain for the Bulls the time I lived there, let's uh, start turning over every stone. We're going to focus on NL Central teams today because no series of anything ever starts in the middle. It always starts like with the AL East. It's just the way things work. So we'll start with the Cubs. And we're mostly going to talk about players or situations that in previous episodes leading up to when we thought opening day was going to be, we kind of just look past these situations for one reason or another. And of course, with expanded rosters, we'll start poking around a bit, trying to figure out if there's anybody else we should be aware of on these rosters. And with the Cubs, um, one of the things that I have been using as sort of a baseline assumption throughout draft season is that both John Lester and Jose Quintana are done being more than just like two start guys and occasional home streamers. And I'm wondering, is there any reason why I should not be making that assumption about either one of Lester or Quintana? 
I'm going to put Lester in a different basket first because I just totally agree on that one. He's 36. Um, you know, two out of the last three seasons have been closer to not useful. Um, his projections run from basically barely useful to the bat giving him a 505 ERA. Uh, his fastball velocity is down to 90. And he's kind of run out of tricks because he's tried using the changeup more, and he's tried using the curveball more, and he's tried using the cutter more. And basically, his fastball percentage was down to 38% last year, which is a full 14% off of his 14 percentage points off of his his full his his career total. So he's I mean he's doing the old pitcher thing as much as he can. Um, and he's just holding on for dear life as, as I see it. Um, he can be some use to the Cubs, uh, where they win some games, um, uh, you know, seven to five, uh, that he starts, but I, uh, I don't think that he's going to be of great use to anybody. Um, and the numbers don't really, uh, kind of show anything that would tell me any different. Um, Quintana, you know, he's a little bit younger, uh, you know, he's, uh, what is he, 31 uh, to to Lester's 36. Uh, you know, his fastball velocity is held, held steady with the Cubs uh, the last two years. Uh, he hasn't, uh, he's still throwing the fastball 61% of the time. So, like, he, he has, like, another well to go to where maybe he throws the curveball 30% of the time and the changeup 15% of the time. And, and you know, kind of, he, he started throwing a, a different uh, breaking ball last year uh, that could be that could be meaningful. So um, and his changeup has changed movement, uh, in fact. So I don't know. I think that uh, there's uh, some something to be like here. And let me just run through his stuff plus and see if I can find anything to hold on to. The curveball is at eighty. Uh, changeup is at seventy-eight. Oh no! Yikes. The fastballs at eighty-seven. Oh no! I mean, that's just to me. That's that's pretty Sinkers hopeless. At eighty. Oh no! Everything's at eighty, eighty-five out of a hundred. Uh, you know, hundreds average. That's not good, dude. Um, I don't know. I uh, if I had to pick one of the two at the end of a draft, I would pick King Tom. I think you could justify it, though, with what you're saying. He's making some changes. The movement on his changeup has been a little bit different. So there's at least some reason to believe there could be a turnaround despite the very low stuff scores. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because Lester has a lot of the same issues. Let me just find some Lester ones. Lester, 74 on the curveball, 97 on the change. So he's still got the change. 89 on the cutter. 76 on the fastball, uh, 103 on the sinker. But the sinker stuff scores, I think, are inflated. So I would basically say they're both below average on stuff across the board. Lester has slightly better command, but Quintana has a great command. Uh, and Quintana has more tricks left in the box. So that's what, that's what I would say. And they're both like almost outside the top 400. Quintana's barely in. Lester's got like an ADP of almost 500. So he's going undrafted in some situations. They're... They're streamers. They're guys that if you... They'd always be more useful in the American League where it's just harder to find pitchers and you would just kind of pick them for bulk, you know? Yeah, and well, I think with the 
the likelihood of, of 10 team divisions, the NL Central gets a little softer at the bottom because you add in a couple of teams, the Tigers and the Royals, that you don't have to necessarily oh. fear offensively. Whereas, you know, in the five team division in the NL Central, you really only have the Pirates to pick on. So you get a couple more spots that you can potentially use. Do them. you remember how they did in your labor draft? I don't offhand. I would wager yeah. that they were five to seven dollars at the high end i would love to have them in reserve you know that would be so amazing if one of them slipped to reserve and you could just like oop not gonna start them this week but yeah at five to seven you gotta run them out there every time the national league the era is lower yeah i don't know but bulk the bulk is there for both of them that's the one nice thing uh you just at some point the bulk kind of works against you yeah especially in leagues where you can't take the guy out of the lineup without dropping him or unless he gets hurt which is the case in labor Uh, the other kind of assumption i've been making is that i don't know anything about craig kimbrell and i'm trying to figure out is there anything in spring training velocity in underlying numbers from 2019 that should actually give us hope that craig kimbrell can bounce back from just a disastrous season a year ago Uh, you know, he was at 96 last year. He was at 96 when he was coming up. I'm, maybe the league changed so much that 96 is not what it was anymore. Uh, but the fact that he had the strikeout rate that he had and that his uh, swing strike rate was still 15%, I actually uh, feel okay about Kieran Grove. You know, I think, you know, I think we're going to look at a lot of people. I think Kimbrough actually is this. We're going to look at a lot of people next year a lot of relievers that have, you know, 30 innings of a similar line where they have a decent strikeout rate, they have a, you know, maybe some problems with the walk rate or whatever, uh, and then some outlandish home run per nine rate and a five ERA. And there's going to be a lot of relievers like this that we're all going to be like, wow, what happened to X last year? And the answer is going to be 20 innings. Yeah. And that, I mean, that was the answer for Kimbrell in 2019 also. So if he were to... That's what I'm saying is like, I think that, He's a kind of a harbinger of the doom that's coming for so many relievers. And uh, I actually think that, yes, his velocity was down uh, a full tick, but you tell me that guy with a 96 uh, mile an hour fastball and an 86 mile an hour uh, curveball, like 86 mile an hour curveball, there's like three people who can do that. Yeah. So it's still one of the best curveballs in the league. And I think that he just basically, with that five uh, walk rate, I'd basically say he fell behind, went to the fastball too often. Uh, and and give up homers, but in a in a you know in a better season, uh, he finds a way to throw the curveball for some more strikes. And he's obviously not got great command. He's had seasons in the past where he had five walk rates in the major leagues. So um, it, he's been, I think, a little bit riskier than we expected going backwards. And he still carries some of that risk. Uh, but I would uh, I would draft him, and I would draft him sort of uh, as like a, you know, if I punted relievers as my number one, you know, as a, as a cheap number one, I, I see him as like the back end of the sure things. And before uh, the ones where you're like kind of shrug emoticon. So maybe, yeah, if you, if you have a cutoff of maybe 10 or 12 relievers, who you really trust Kimbrel's in that group, wherever that line is, he's in that group instead of out of that. Like group. the, at the very end. Yeah. At the very end of that group. But but not in he's I don't think he's in the shrug group. No, because he's he's the closer. He still throws ninety six. His projections are decent. His strikeout rate last year was good. 
it wasn't that far off of his other strikeout rates. So I'm, I'm into him. Interesting, too, that he's kind of fallen into a, a cluster ADP-wise with Brandon Workman, Jose LeClerc. That's a shrug. That's a shrug. Uh, LeClerc, LeClerc, Kimbrell, that's okay. I'm okay around there. But the Workman, to me, is a shrug emoticon. Yeah, they're just real like, close together. Hansel Robles is in that group, too. Alex Colomay is going ahead of all of those guys in the handful of majors. And I would take Alex Colomay behind all of those Same. Guys. Like he, I can't, I can't really be convinced that other than maybe having a little more job security than someone like Workman. Like that's the only thing that works in, in Colomay's favor against any of those guys, really. Yeah. Hurts you in strikeouts and, and low strikeout closers lose their jobs. Yeah. I'm definitely not really interested in him. Uh, last Cubs thought, this is sort of pertaining to the increased likelihood of the universal DH, of course. I don't think, is it a certainty at this point? It seems like we're just kind of working under the idea that it is, but uh, there's a guy that I, I really didn't think a lot about at the time when they signed him who, upon further review, is pretty interesting, and it's Steven Souza. I mean, I think he's got flaws, obviously, in his profile, too, but the things we saw from him in Tampa Bay, I, I think uh, in 2017, that's mm, that sticking with me a little bit. Like, that that happened. Like, there was a pretty nice power-speed combo there. He had 30 homers. He was 16 for 20 as a base stealer with a 351 OBP. He had barrel rates in the first three years of the StatCast era of 10% or better. And I think one of those years was, well, a couple of those years were marred by some injuries. But, I mean, I, I know he's coming off of a completely lost 2019, so there's always the risk with a major injury that you're just not the same player when you come back. But he's basically free. And if Universal DH is happening, he, to me, looked like the guy on the Cubs roster who had the best chance of having a larger role than expected. Whereas without that Universal DH, it was hard to see him getting an opportunity against same-handed pitching. Doubt he'd play center at this point in his career as 31. Right, but you, but you bump Schwarber into DH, and suddenly you're playing Souza in left field a lot because he's and, a better hitter than Almora. Yeah, before this, he was probably a platoon mate for Hayward. Right. You try, try to limit Hayward's at bats against lefties. Um, uh, my last thought for the Cubs is that it is uh, that they actually um, may benefit uh, from the externalities related to playing a season this year. That they are built to uh, take advantage of the extra roster spots, and that they can uh, really benefit from this because. You have guys like Nico Horner, David Bodie, Steven Souza, Jason Kipnis, Alec Mills, um, uh, even maybe. Um, I was thinking you're going to throw Jarrell well, Cotton reliever, in that in that mix too, maybe just as a yeah. Deep, well, the reliever the the reliever list. I don't you know projecting relievers for thirty you know in a thirty inning season is just you know good luck. But um, uh, but I would say that those ones I mentioned, uh, Bodie, Kipnis, Horner, Souza, um, you know, Hap, uh, you know, those guys would have, they might have made the roster in a 40-man situation, but now they definitely would make the roster. And they might have played a little bit, you know, in a regular situation. They might have been good uh, sort of fringe candidates to, to kind of throw a dart at. Now they're all going to play. Um, I think that everybody's floor, you know, everyone's ceiling goes down a little bit, but everybody's floor goes up. And on this team, 
Uh, Hap getting more playing time is exciting to me. Horner getting more playing time is exciting to me. Bodie getting more playing time is exciting to me. And they may take away from Souza playing full time, um, you know, in a slot and Schorber just being the DH uh, because they may want to, you know, DH Bodie for whatever reason or play both Horner and Kipnis one day or, you know what I mean? Or, you know, uh, maybe Hap doesn't take over center field and Hap becomes a rover uh, that plays uh, whenever he can. But uh, I always, I liked Hap a ton going in. I tried to get some shares. I told you guys on this show how much I liked Hap. I still like Hap and I like him a little bit more now because I think he's, he's assured a little bit more of playing some. And I think they're going to see a few guys kind of sneak into the mix, like Brock Stewart, uh, Adbert Alzale, who would have been up and down. I was going to mention Alzale along with Mills. I, I think Mills is ahead of Alzale just because Mills is more polished. Uh, looked like he was going to make the roster. Mills has some, uh, you know, things going for him, uh, including good command um, and not necessarily a great fastball, but uh, a good mix. Uh, of pitches so i actually like mills uh, as a dfs guy in certain situations uh, maybe uh real deep leagues uh as a plug and play uh you know he's he's a guy that stands out to me alzale uh a little bit more boomer bust uh may end up in the bullpen a lot of velocity uh some question marks about you know how the how the stuff plays together yeah absolutely uh Hernan perez probably makes this roster that may not have happened before robel garcia probably hangs around a little bit too so uh, not a lot of prospect oh, and, upside, but just nice fillers who can handle multiple spots. Well, some some with Horner and some with Hap. It's not really prospecty at this point, but like you know, some young player juice. Uh, and and the the line uh, that that connects all these finds for the Cubs on the on the hitting side is not that hard to 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 follow. You mentioned it with Souza. I've mentioned it with Hap. You know it with Schwarber. They love barrel rate. Yeah. It didn't have to necessarily be exactly the same definition as Statcast, but it's very close because Robel Garcia hits the snot out of the ball. You know, David Bodie. I asked some guy in the Cubs organization once. I said, "Where'd you guys find David Bodie?" And he literally said to me, "Exit velocity." <laughs> yeah, I, that was the answer when I picked him up on some teams last year. Like, Why'd you pick up David Bodie? Yeah, right. it's ball hard. <laughs> Good things can happen. Yeah, hits the ball, the ball hard. hard is a good thing. It's like with pitching. It's like, well, it throws 99. I'm interested. <laughs> yeah, sign me up. I, I know there's other problems, but that's a good positive to have uh, from the jump. And it's funny because we, as analysts, we get so deep into our our work sometimes that, you know, we're like, oh, well, you know, average EV is not really a great uh, a great measure and average launch angle is noisy and doesn't really tell the whole picture. Yeah, yeah, sure. But does he hit the ball hard? Yeah. Right. <laughs> it is funny how that works. Yeah, that's why I like Max EV. is like, oh, man. It's like Max pitching velocity. Like, oh, man, the guy can hit the ball 120. Put him on my team. Let's, uh, let's shift the focus to the Reds. And uh, you're running the Reds for oh, the Athletic Don't tell me Alternative it, Universe League on Out of the Park, uh, which, you know, I'll get to a question pertaining to that in just a minute. But there's kind of a forgotten player in Cincinnati who we were excited about from a fantasy perspective, especially a year ago, Jesse Winker. And he did some things that were pretty interesting last season. He's not a, a big barrel rate guy, but he does hit the ball pretty hard. He's always had a good hit tool. Injuries have been a problem for him in the upper levels of the minors. They were a problem for him last year. But 16 homers and 384 plate appearances, you know, starting to unlock a little bit more. Things got more crowded. 
with Shogo Akiyama signing there, the development of Aristides Aquino, crowds things, the addition of Mike Boustakis, you know, throwing Senzel further into the outfield mix. All of those things are sort of combining to make Jesse Winker a forgotten player. You know, with health, what do you see from him in 2020? I love him. I think the only thing that is concerning about him has been, and it's, it's it maybe even more concerning now in this kind of a season, um, is his work against the lefties. Um, he had a minus 16, 16 WRC plus in his first attempt. Uh, but for his career, he's 50% worse than league average against lefties, hitting 176, 295, 248. And uh, even more concerning, he's just losing playing time. Like they're not even they're not even trying. Um, you know, he had thirty. Uh, he had fifty plate appearances last year. Seventy-one plate appearances in twenty eighteen against lefties. They're just hiding him against lefties. And um, so that means I think he'll probably be in, in this situation in a strict platoon with Senzel. Uh, not with Senzel. With uh, well, maybe Senzel or Irvin um, making the DH. Uh, Aquino, uh, yeah, I think Aquino, uh, and Senzel in a semi platoon with Akiyama in center and uh, kind of a floating outfielder. I think you could also justify taking Nick Castellanos' defense out of the equation and then just doing the platoon thing in right field with some combination of those guys, too. Like that, either way, if yeah. it's about plate appearances, and I, I think. Winker is definitely a guy that I couldn't really see playing enough to make much of an impact in mixed leagues without the possibility of the DH or without a major injury clearing the path for him to do that. On uh, the pitching side, I keep coming back to Tyler Molly as a pitcher I like better than most. With everybody's top plate appearances down, though, I think he is a mixed league player. Uh, I, I, I think it's going to be really rough being in weekly leagues this year. Oh, it, it, for all the reasons we've been talking about, where bigger yeah. rosters mean more platoons, more platoons yeah. uh, knock down that that playing time ceiling a lot for like the the middle in part. In a daily of the league, pool. like Winker, I think could be a twelve teamer. I think he's going to hit two eighty with like thirty home run time power. Yeah, daily shallow mixed league I could see, but weekly mixed league I think it's really tricky with him. With everybody. He's he's a part of the the cluster, but uh, I keep coming back to yeah. Tyler Molly on the pitching side as a Reds pitcher who I want to have on as many teams as possible. I think maybe it's the lack of faith in Wade Miley. It's just you know, look any any one pitcher getting hurt opens the door for Molly to be a fixture in their starting five. Uh, I know you've seen things in him for a few years that have been interesting and, and have kind of made him pop in different filters and leaderboards. Is it time to lower the expectations or should we still be optimistic that with the opportunity, especially in this organization, Tyler Molly could still uh, reach some of those levels that we're hoping for? You know, mostly his stuff numbers across the board are kind of in the 90 to 95, uh, but his change up, which he changed last year to, I think a splitter, uh, shows up as as a 110 pitch, and I wonder if it's possible that I talked to an evaluator that thought that he didn't really have an out pitch. 
Um, maybe they hadn't seen enough of the change yet, or maybe there's a numbers versus scouting uh, thing there. But if he does have an out pitch, he has great command of, 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 a, of a large arsenal of average type pitches. Um, and he has been changing that arsenal. Uh, so there is a chance he pops and that, that maybe this change up is part of it. Um, also, he just fits really well this year with what's going to happen with pitching staffs. He's going to be the guy who comes in uh, in the in the fourth and fifth innings to pitch two or three innings. He's going to vulture a lot of wins. Him and Lucas Sims are going to be the glue that keeps this staff together at the beginning. Um, and if they're just in there semi-stretched out at the beginning, that makes them more likely to, to take over for somebody that uh, either falls off due to uh, performance issues or uh, has, a, has an injury. So they'll, they'll remain stretched out, but they'll give you use when they're not officially starting pitchers and there's a chance that one of them becomes a starting pitcher. And I will tell you, there is performance risk in this pitching staff because in my sim the only one with an era under five is trevor bauer mm. well sunny gray sunny gray and trevor bauer have like four o's and everybody else is over five that's maddening because i just i don't think that's how it's going to play out even though anything of course is possible it's a bit of a test for the whole like Derek johnson is god right <laughs> the sim doesn't have a Derek johnson input right this is true <laughs> So we'll have to see. You know, you could look at this rotation, especially at the right year. Like if you looked at it um, after Sonny Gray's bad year, you know, you might look at this rotation and be like, um, no. Yeah, a lot has changed for them <laughs> over the past year in terms of how it's we true. view the individual parts of that rotation, but also how they deal with pitching as a whole. I mean, it's one of the bigger transformations in the league, really. I do think that they the, the Reds will be, uh, especially with the extra roster spots, they'll be Brewers-esque in pushing um, their starting pitchers to throw as hard as possible and get as many strikeouts in sort of three, four inning stretches uh, because they've got the extra roster slots and they're gonna they're gonna they've got a decent depth in the bullpen. I would say with Sims and Molly being the long man, De Leon uh, being there, but also uh, just the sort of back end of the regular relief squad is Lorenzen, Stevenson, Cody Reed. Uh, that's a that's a de- decent group to have. That's not basically your closer or setup man. You know. Yeah, I, I like that depth quite a bit. Uh, real quick, in running the Reds for the Sim this season, have any players in that organization sort of just caught your eye? Like maybe it was someone that you thought you had a good feel for, but you've looked more closely at them, you know, since taking over that you you found something kind of interesting about them. The Sim does not like Nick Senzel, and. I've liked Nick Senzel. I don't know that it's changed my opinion, um, but uh, it is maybe instructive to look and see that Senzel's projections are for a below-average bat. Uh, The Sim doesn't care as much about stolen bases as we do in fantasy, Uh, but if he's got a below-average bat, how much do they push, especially with a, a loaded roster like this? I think I just basically said he'd be like a floating outfielder. Um, if he is a floating outfielder, does he get to 480 plate appearances in order to get to that 15-15 homer uh, stolen base thing? And if he's a floating outfielder because he has a below average bat, you know maybe he's not as good a player as as we have him out to be. You know, he's 
He's really interesting, though, because he, he fits a little bit into the framework of what we were talking about a few episodes ago with, with strikeout rates and, and just looking at minor league performance and then what players are when they arrive and then what direction they can go from there. Based right. On track like record. if he improves that to like a 20 percent strikeout rate, like the kind of stuff he was doing in the minors uh, and improves the walk rate. And he all of a sudden is more like a 10 percent walk rate, 20 percent strikeout rate guy. Now he's hitting 280 with like a 345 OBP. Now he's an above average bat. He's an above-average bat that plays all over in a time when everybody needs that kind of player, and all of a sudden you're starting to see him play at second and and center. And but they've also publicly, as a team, said he's not going to play the infield. So I think he's an interesting player. I think um, I, I'm not sure that I can recommend that you need to pick him up, but uh, maybe if you're rebuilding, he could be uh, some low-hanging fruit that you could acquire before this season. Now that he looks crowded out on the depth chart, yeah, I think long term leagues especially, you know, he's one of those guys where he's not on the prospect list anymore. He's kind of in that sweet yeah. spot where he hasn't reached his what I think is his big league floor, and clearly there's still some ceiling there as well. You look back at the WRC plus the from he, the, the upper minors, like he was dominant at those yeah. stops. And the fact that he runs it all is exciting. Yeah. I mean, because running like the thing about stolen bases is in in dynasty leagues you want to like if you can like i made a living out of like sort of fading prospects and and buying older guys but at some point you need to go get younger guys for the steals like you know i did trade for lorenzo kane but that's that's a pretty risky move (laughs) Uh, and that's not going to get you enough steals you need to actually have some young players to get steals yeah that's a pretty big part of of kane's core skills though and i think Part of the reason some of the sprint speed numbers were down last year is because he played hobbled for most of the season, which makes winning a gold glove in center field uh, all the more impressive. The Black Tux believes every groom deserves a better experience when it comes to finding formal wear, a suit, or tuxedo for their big day. Did you know the Black Tux was actually started by two guys who had one of the worst tuxedo fittings you could imagine? It turns out they aren't alone in this frustration. Just listen to these one-star reviews from competitor tux shops that shall not be named. Go elsewhere. This place is pretty terrible unless you're dressing like your grandpa for Halloween. We felt weird buying a suit from somebody so unhappy. We were afraid his bad vibes might follow us to our wedding day, so we left. The Black Tux has an easy online ordering process that brings your suit or tuxedo straight to you. Just pick a style at theblacktux.com and request a free home try-on so you can feel the fit and quality before you commit. And if online isn't your style, the Black Tux has showrooms all over the country where you can find your fit and plan your look. From there... They'll ship your order two weeks before your wedding so you can check it out one last time. Talk about commitment. Whether you're buying your outfit or looking to rent, you won't find a formal wear experience or designs like the ones you'll find at the Black Tux. If you want your wedding to be remembered for the right reasons, order your suit or tuxedo at theblacktux.com and enjoy 10% off with code DRAFT. That's theblacktux.com. Code DRAFT for 10% off your purchase. The Black Tux, formal wear for the moment. All right, speaking of the Brewers, let's uh, dive into a few players here. I think they're in a really odd position as a team with what could be the league's worst farm system because uh, related to what we were talking about at the end of the episode on, on Tuesday, you know, some teams have really high ceiling prospects who are closing in the big leagues. I mean, the Mariners have a couple with Julio Rodriguez and Jared Kelnick, and the Rays obviously have Wander Franco. The Brewers don't have any prospects like that. They have some pitchers who were kind of under the radar and even a guy they drafted last summer, Ethan Small, who I guess they could try to be really aggressive with if they thought there was something there they could use depth-wise. 
but mostly it's it's veteran like NRI types that could get a boost with the expanded rosters. Guys like you know, Logan Morrison, who I think had no chance of making the roster at 26, and now he hangs around potentially uh, as someone who kind of blends in occasionally as a first base or DH option. Uh, you know, a guy like Ryan Healy, who was going to be at AAA to start the season, he's probably up on the bench as a depth guy on both infield corners. Uh, did you have anybody that, that you thought was kind of interesting, though, buried somewhere on the depth chart who, who might actually have a little more appeal than once thought? Um, yeah, I think it'll be kind of the slugger types. I think, like, Braun... Uh, you know, benefits from having the DH, uh, you know, as a soft landing spot for him. That means more time for smoke and, you know, makes Morrison and Healy more likely to make this team. They're going to find ways to, you know, hide Healy uh, in the outfield uh, to get some games uh, from him out there probably. And there might be some lineups where you see smoke Braun and Healy in the same lineup. Um, which will just be weird, but uh, you know that'll that'll be how they make things work. Um, they they went the cheap route at third with Sogard, so I wonder if uh, between Sogard, Jerko, and Holt, they find um, kind of like a, a regular third baseman, not not in not in one in the form of one player, but like that there becomes sort of like a fifty fifty split there or a sixty forty split there at some point, um, but. It's an interesting team that kind of finds ways to, you know, it reminds me of the A's, you know, they find ways to be competitive every year by picking up cheap, you know, uh, Josh Lindblom types, you know, you know, Brett Anderson, Brett Anderson's on this team, isn't it? Yeah, Brett Anderson on the team. It's just like the A's. You, you, you like buy whatever cheap, uh, you know, starters you can afford for like five million a year. Um, and, uh, you hope that the health pops for your team, um, and, uh, you don't regularly like the, the A's have had uh, some recent success with some prospects and so have the Brewers in graduating some guys, but I don't think the Brewers, I mean, the Brewers farm system is one of the worst and the A's is often considered one of the worst. So, um, you know, I think there's some similarities in how these teams are run. Um, I think that maybe Bobby Wall, uh, Lucas Urseg and Alec Bettinger, are three names uh, that will make the 50-man squad uh, that could be uh, interesting. But none of them is probably going to get into uh, the type of roles that you would want uh, for fantasy. You know what I mean? Like, Wall is likely uh, to pitch some and could ascend to maybe the third uh, best reliever on the squad. Maybe he ends up set up. Um, you know, in terms of stuff, uh, there's Black, Kniebel, and and Wall uh, are my favorite in terms of stuff in that in that uh, bullpen. So uh, they could all jump, you know, behind Hater, of course. I'm not saying they. <laughs> Duh. Uh, so Wall, I think Wall could kind of ascend to maybe seventh inning status. Urseg, I think, is um, only useful in that I think they'll want to have a third baseman on the 50-man roster given how bad their third base situation is, and maybe they see something in you know his daily preparation or his work uh, in whatever situation they've got going, the complex, the BP, whatever it is. Maybe he starts making hit tracks light up. Um, you know, there's an there's a there's a world in which he actually ascends and becomes the starting third baseman. I mean, one of the many universes out there part one of the multiverse you know 
Lucas Urseg is a starting third baseman. It's not. It's not like you know ninety of the of the ninety percent of the multiverses. It's more One. like you know five. Yeah, five. <laughs> but um, but I could see it happening just because the third base situation is so weak uh that uh Urseg plays the position well and has uh been up and down in terms of uh his work and and then Benninger uh I could actually see him starting um you know he was last year he came up in our pod as a prospect of the week because he was one of the five uh, uh pitchers that had the largest uh year to year increase uh in strikeout rate uh he was he was in there in that group with Jose Urquidy uh Zach Gallen and Mitch Keller, uh, Alex Fido, and Alec Benninger. That's the that's the the top uh, strikeout rate risers uh, at the midseason last year. So, um, you know, Benninger doesn't have a great fastball, but that sounds like every other Milwaukee Brewer starter other than Woodruff. So, uh, I could see him jumping in there if Lauer falls apart and Peralta or Burns don't step forward. And at the very least, Benninger could be one of those glue guys. Uh, that pitches some and steals some wins. Yeah, I think you know you look at Freddie Peralta and Corbin Burns and Eric Lauer, and you can see one of those guys, especially. Like, I don't know which one exactly. One could go and, and reach a new level this year. That we've talked about that actual problem, I think before. Um, With Peralta's first inning struggles, he seems ideal as like a th- two three inning mid mid uh, mid game guy. And he may actually end up having great numbers uh, in low ownership in a weird way where he's got, you know, like a 3-5 ERA, you know, 11 strikeouts per nine and ends the season with like eight wins um, because he's just been used judiciously and yet only like he's got like 2% ownership. It's going to be such a strange year for so many reasons. Uh, The other player that I, I keep coming back to with the time off, who I think is going to have plenty of opportunities now, is Luis Urias. I think it was cloudy back in March. He was working his way back from a wrist injury. He was about to play the day that everything stopped. That was going to be his first spring game. And he's coming back from you know a, a bone injury in his wrist. And you, you look back at you know, two extra months for that to heal. I, I would assume he's about as close to 100% as you possibly could be. And when things pick up again he gets a chance to compete for playing time in the infield, uh, whether that's, you know, part of the third base mix or pushing Orlando Arcia out of the regular role at shortstop, you know, that, that of course remains to be seen, but I think he'll be the regular shortstop. And one nice thing is that like people think they see hammate bone and it was a hammate bone, right? Yeah. I think it was a hammate. Yeah. yeah. People think she's, people still think that that saps power. And really the only mechanism at which it could sap power is that it's painful uh, but you know, you just, it doesn't actually like, uh, mechanically sap power. Uh, yes, I guess pain could keep you from giving yourself the full swing, but the pain's going to be gone by now. And he doesn't have any sort of like, it's not like a labrum tear or something where he has like a, you know, a, a weakness in a part that he needs to, you know, hands are the last thing, you know, you, your whole body produces the hand speed. You, your hands don't do much. They sort of just guide the bat, you know what I mean? So uh, I don't think the Hamate Bone will sap power from him long-term, and uh, them playing in their home stadiums, as it looks like, uh, is going to be a real boost to him. And I could see him hitting, you know, like 260, 270 uh, with the type of power that would be 20 homer power in a full season. So I could see him hitting 270, 
you know, 10 to 12 homers. This yeah, year. I like that he also has a pretty good grasp of the strike zone, too. I think that gives him the chance to pop up higher in the order if he's playing well, you know, mm, starting, from a, a more, more starting from a lower position. I think he can, he can move up a bit. Uh, if, you know, Kane were to get hurt or if he were struggling or if they wanted to go something like uh, drop Kane maybe to like the six or seven spot at some point. Like they've got ways they can shuffle things around. I think Urias could actually be one of the few guys with the chance to jump in the batting order. Yeah, in terms of a lock on a, a top four batting spot, I'd say there's two guys. Yeah, and most teams probably have three locked in, and that's a good team that only has two. So opportunity could yeah. be there. Um, let's shift the focus to a bad team. The uh, the pirates, ooh. yeah, ooh. Uh, <laughs> I love bad teams, man. There's so much, there's so much opportunity on bad teams. You just got to watch out for wins and runs in RBI. But otherwise, so here's what I've been wondering about: Is Gregory Polanco finally completely healthy? Because before his shoulder injury, he was having that breakout that I was waiting for for a long time. Like if we can trust him to be completely healthy, he's a great bargain where he's going outside the top 250 overall. Yeah. I mean, he's 28 years old. Uh, I think peak is, you know, peak is a range, but peak is a range between 28 and 26 and 28. Not, uh, not, uh, you know, a longer one, I don't think. So I would say that uh, he, he has a chance to put together his best season so far. Uh, I'd like the uh, improving fly ball rate. Um, uh, I like that he's done that while keeping his strikeout rate around league average. Uh, he may not steal so much anymore, but he has that in his bag of tricks, and that I think that just speaks to his athleticism. Um, his barrel rate in 2018 was 9.4, which is uh, not amazing, not top 10% or anything, but it's good. It's really good. It's almost twice the league average. So, uh, you know, hard hit rate. None of his, there's not a lot of like uh, red ink on his stat cast page, but there's a lot of near red ink. Um, if you get that hard hit rate over 40%, I think you start getting some red ink. Uh, if you get that bell rate over 10%, you start getting some red ink. So uh, he doesn't throw, he hit the ball hard on average, but he hits the ball in the right angles and, um, and he has a good sense of the plate. I, I, I like him. I think there's one other player that, I've never really brought him up on purpose before, but he could be kind of fun if he gets more chances to play. And with the possibility of the DH, he would be an indirect winner. It's Jose Ozuna. Dude. Did I, did I take your guy? No, I've been talking uh, about you, him. You talk about him. I don't ever bring him up. But like I, I, You don't talk I, about him. I think him. You, oh, okay. <laughs> you've, you've convinced me. Like there's, there's something here. He does hit the ball hard. He doesn't strike out a lot. And I think yeah. there were some questions about where he could fit in defensively, but those questions are answered if all he has to do is go out there and hit. Yeah, yeah. And uh, a similar situation where there's not uh, a ton of uh, red ink on there, um, and he hits the ball a little bit lower than Polanco, so I, I think his, his power uh, output, power upside is lower. Uh, but... He does have the ingredients uh, with that lower launch angle for a good batting average. So I don't think it's much of a stretch to see him hitting 280 uh, with 20 homer type power next year. And th- th- there's definitely much more opportunity for him, especially with, you know, uh, if he hits 280, then he's got a 320 OBP or something, gets closer to a league average line, um, and just becomes a better option at DH than like Gil Heredia, who's 
more of a, uh, you know, I think of a, a, a part of the solution in center field where, um, you know, they've got Gerard Dyson. So I think it would be like sort of Dyson, Heredia in center, Reynolds and Polanco in left and right, Osuna at DH. This actually is, they don't have the depth of other teams. So I don't see this, uh, I don't see them benefiting from a larger roster so much. But I do think that they have uh, enough interesting prospects near the top that they may want to put those guys uh, on the 30-man, not even just the 50-man. But like a guy like Cabrian Hayes is close enough that he's definitely going to be on the 50-man. Even if this team is not competitive, they want to continue his development uh, and keep him close to the big leaguers. And so uh, if he's on the 50-man, he's that much closer to maybe making the big leagues. But otherwise, I see this as a much more... There's not as much chaos as you want from a bad team. You know what I mean? Like, Where's the where's the chaos that breeds opportunity? The chaos is Osuna at DH, uh, maybe something at the back end of the starting pitching. I, I like Chad Cool a little bit, um, and then obviously whenever Keela gets deal, dealt, uh, you've got either Crick or Rodriguez stepping in. Yeah, at, at eventually a question at closer for sure. But uh, until then, I think uh, of the lower tier closers, we'll call them. I think uh, Kell is pretty safe in in that cluster the uh the other guy that i think is somewhat forgotten about we were excited when he got called up last year is cole tucker and i think the wrc plus is definitely one of the first places i go he's definitely on the he's got to be on the expanded roster like you can't let that guy not play well he'll be on the 50 man but there's also do you think he'll be i think he's on the 30 man i think they should adam frazier is like a nice bench player right but you you want to let cole tucker get the playing time he's been a little bit below league average you know at double a and triple a the last two seasons but controls the strike zone doesn't strike out a lot has the walk rate a lot of his value comes from speed and defense so you're not going to get the the catch-all offensive metric that pops for a player like this he just needs the opportunity how do you not just play him up the middle you know with kevin newman how do you not just make that your middle infield on a regular basis yeah, and if you uh, – or uh, play him a third some if you if you don't know where to put Frazier after that. You know what I mean? Like if you still want to showcase Frazier for a possible trade, uh, I think you can lose as many games as – like if the losing games is the point, then I think you can lose as many games with uh, Tucker, Newman, Frazier uh, across your infield as you can with Moran there just because you would normally get more – um, uh, you'd normally get more offense from your third base position, but you would get more development juice out of playing Newman next to Tucker, Tucker and seeing uh, which is the better defender, which one you like better on the bat-wise, and still showcasing Frazier as a possible trade-off. Yeah, I think this team, if anything, should look at Arizona and try and copy them, be a team that's strong in run prevention. I think that could be one of their sneaky paths to... Yeah, because Moran is just... He's not really helping... No. I mean, I, I like the guy. I like talking to the guy. He's just a smart head on his shoulders, but he's a below-average bat with below-average defense uh, with the upside to maybe be an average bat with below-average defense. It's just it's not the type of player that um, is being played a lot these days. I like him more as a role player, like a bench guy on a good team, than as someone continuing to fill an everyday role on a rebuilding team, which hopefully yeah. isn't like a total knock on him. It's just more of like and thinking dude, about the future. Like a... A Tucker Newman Frazier infield would pick it. Yeah, yeah. Throw Hayes in there at third. I mean, yeah. Wow. 
So, all right, there is something to be excited about. And then, Pittsburgh. if you play Tucker and Newman and Frazier at the same time, you're also saying you're also seeing if maybe you can play Tucker and Newman together after Frazier's dealt. But you can't play uh, Frazier in the outfield if everyone's healthy, unless he. I don't think he can play center. You really don't so, want to put him out there. So you're hoping that somebody likes Frazier this year, and this is going to be interesting. Like, how much trading do you think there'll be this year? Well, so if you're a team that is mid-pack and you don't quite have that glue guy who can play two or three spots, Frazier would be a decent trade target. It's not going to cost a lot. You know, like, that that could be one thing the Pirates do. It's not going to change their future all that much, but... I'm just saying that, like, you know, there's so many... Like, I've been talking to people for a piece I'm doing on player development, and there's so many unknowns about, like, what kind of a player you're trading away because you don't even have minor league seasons, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Um... And, uh, you know, how good the player is you're playing trading away. And then also there's a fair amount of unease within the industry about like what the winter will look like in terms of the virus and uh, if it comes back and what that means for next year and what that means for spring next year. And I think in the face of uncertainty, what we've seen out of baseball is for the most part, uh, they don't want to take part. No, they shut more down. Cut spending, take so, it easy. I can't imagine that the trade deadline will be robust this year. I think there might be a small flurry of activity once the freeze is over, and then there might be a pretty big lull for a while until a handful of teams try to get those reinforcements uh, to really kind of go all in for their playoff push. And the reinforcements will be like, you know, we're going to, tr- instead of trading for Aquila, you know, or maybe we'll just trade for Kayla because he's, 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 uh, his deal's almost up, but we're not going to trade for Crick, who would cost more and has more years of control because we don't want to spend, we're not, we're just dipping our toe in the water. We'll just, we'll give you a, you know, a double A reliever for, for Kayla. Yeah, expiring it. players, the rentals, if you will, are the, yeah. the hot ticket item perhaps on the trade market. How about, how about, um, some prospects that might make the 50 man and that makes them a slightly more likely to, uh, playing the big leagues. Um, I think if I was the Pirates, when you look at the 50-man, what you're going to have, the, 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 the way that you're thinking about it is um, I want to have enough players to play the season and not have to play my prospects, but I also want to keep some of my best prospects developing and in the complex and with around my big leaguers. So I think it's interesting to think about O'Neill Cruz, Travis Swaggerty, and Jared Oliva, um, because neither none of those three would you know they all sort of twenty twenty one guys, uh, but you kind of want to keep them uh, you know working. So Hayes is someone who can actually play in the big leagues this year and step in if someone gets hurt and may actually just take over a job this year. Uh, but if you keep cre- and and mo- and some teams like you know I've heard from some teams that are closer to being uh, competitive that they may only have one of this type player. You know, where like they only keep O'Neill Cruz uh, because they they need to devote so much of their fifty man roster to uh, pitchers <laughs> because it's going to be injuries, right? And uh, and just guys who can step in right now because they're going to be competitive. You mm-hmm. know, um, so but the Pirates are on the other end of the spectrum, so there's an outside chance that they that Oliva, Swaggerty, and Cruz, even though they're not going to play in the big leagues this year, are on the fifty man. Uh, which I think would help them development-wise over other teams 
like the Yankees who may not be able to keep as many of their uh, high upside prospects. Like, is Jason Dominguez going to be on the 50-man roster? I don't think he can be. I I don't think he can because the Yankees are going to try and win this year. Yeah, there's too many other things they need to address in that situation. And what the hell does Jason Dominguez do this year then? Yeah, that's a fair question, right? I mean, And what does it mean to not see major league or not not major league but not see competitive pitching for a full year it's the great unknown every team's gonna have to deal with it though to varying degrees so I, he's one of those guys i'm really curious to see what they're able to do to try and prepare him for next season since i don't expect him to be a part of their 50-man plan either uh, if you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction you want treatment asap that's why our friends at roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state all from the comfort of home Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. If the doctor decides the treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments, and you can cancel anytime. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com slash rates for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash rates for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. Uh, real quick, you know, let's take a look at the Cardinals. This is a team that has had a bullpen we've talked about several times. It's a mess. Like, we probably look at Jordan Hicks as a guy that we talked about briefly on the last episode where he could be the solution in the ninth inning sooner rather than later. So I'd be a little more careful with Giovanni Gallegos now than I was even back in March. Uh, oh, that bullpen's going to be Yeah, that bullpen's a disaster. I think we probably agree on this. Dylan Carlson was already lined up to take over a role like soon after opening day. If opening day had happened already, I think he's almost a lock to be a fixture in left field for them and to have a prominent spot in the batting order as well. Yes, yes. I'm... I'm having a hard time right now finding spring training stats. That's weird. They are no longer on MLB.com. They vanished. Like they probably there's probably some script that makes them go away at a certain date because people stop looking for them normally. You know, like why would normally in May 21st? Why would you even bother? Well, it's a easy drop down usually. When you go to stats on MLB.com, you've got the option to do spring, and even that option is gone. Who are you looking for, Carlson? Carlson and Lane Thomas. Yeah, I think he was kind of mashing the spring too, wasn't he? And he's listed as, you know, the, uh, oh, 2020 Major League Spring Training is on Baseball Reference. Yeah, Rotowire has it on their pages too. Oh, so so Lane Thomas was um, well. It's not really okay. Here we go. Uh, da, 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 da. Let's see here, Thomas was hitting um, the. Uh, I, there's a little note here that Bernard Gilkey, the hitting coach, loves Lane Thomas, and he's listed as the starter at uh, at DH. And I would just say, I don't know anything about Lane Thomas. He's just one of those random Cardinals guys that's come up who, if he were promoted, I would have to look up where he came from, what he did everywhere, 
and you kind of look level to level. Like he was a good player at Double A in 2018, showed some speed. Although he was caught stealing a lot, had power, decent slash line. A little young for the level too, so that was kind of his his breakout year. I think when you see the the power surge he had there, and he sort of maintained it too with a, a late season promotion to Triple A that year, and then in the follow up with about a half season at Memphis a year ago. Kind of an up-and-down guy, I think, for the Cardinals, just when they needed an extra outfielder last season. Tiny sample here with 44 plate appearances last year, but in the tiniest of samples, like one of the few things that you can look at are like swing rate and and reach rate. Um, You know, really good swing rate, actually, uh, with a 40% swing rate. That's that's really good, and a 22% reach rate. And I only mention that because he's had harder, worse strikeout rates um, in the minors recently. But then if you look at his spring training stats, he had eight strikeouts in 40 uh, plate appearances. So he's actually continued that. And so between spring and last year, he now has 80 plate appearances with a sub 20% strikeout rate. Um, that's meaningful to me because if he pairs that power with a better strikeout rate, uh, that changes all of his projections. Um, and if he's made some meaningful strides in terms of plate discipline, maybe that walk rate's going to be different. So what if he's a you know, 9% walk rate, 23, 24% strikeout rate guy in the major leagues, then he could be kind of a league average bat uh, with some power and actually some some legs. So, you know, we don't know that much about Lane Thomas, but um, the, only, the only other real situation they could have is where they play, um, you know, uh, Tyler O'Neill, Tommy Edmond, or no, Tyler O'Neill, Harrison Bader, Bader Daryl, uh, uh, Dylan Carlson, and uh, Dexter Fowler, uh, mostly every day, and one of them's DH. I think that's sort of the base configuration. But if there's four guys for four spots, and Lane Thomas is sort of the backup, that he's like one injury away from getting more of a role, and yeah, he'll have a part-time role just just spelling guys in that group since those guys are all going to get pretty heavy usage. I mean, we've talked about this team before with Carpenter having kind of a, a short rope and then Edmund getting to play a lot. Yeah, but what is a short rope now? You know, like short rope, like I was told from somebody who knew the, the Cardinal system pretty well that they thought that Carpenter basically had a month uh, to prove that he wasn't toast. Um, and so therefore, and then after that, Edmund would basically take that job. Well, a month in this season is two weeks. Are we, are they really going to be like two weeks into it? Carpenter's hitting 190 and he's, he's, he's a backup. Maybe. I mean, that might be the kind and it, this is the kind of team too, that wants to win now and is going to, and going to, you know, take the opportunity if they see it, you know? Yeah. And I think they're going to fill in pretty effectively with org depth, Thomas types. A lot of their prospects other than Carlson are still several years away. So I don't really see those guys getting squeezed on, to the 50-man roster in any sort of great number. Maybe there's one that they sneak in, but it's not going to be an impactful guy. It's purely development. They're going to have ready guys. I mean, uh, yeah, Lane Thomas shows up. Uh, Genesis Cabrera could make the 50-man because he's a lefty reliever. Uh, Rosarena's gone now. Uh, yeah, and their, their prospects, they had a bunch of 2019 ready prospects, but they're all 40s. Andrew Kneiser... He's going to make the fifty man though, because you have to have a third catcher on the fifty man. Absolutely. So he's he's he he could play. He's a one injury away because Molina and Weeters are ahead of him. So, uh, but uh, let me look at the twenty twenty ready guys. Um, Nolan Gorman twenty twenty one might if they if they have like the one guy that they want to keep around, he might be the one guy 
that they keep uh, the last, the twentieth man, basically, that they keep around to 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 uh, continue his development because they like his upside. You know, I'm with you there. That is going to wrap things up for this episode. If you are listening on a platform that allows you to rate and review our podcast, please take a moment to do that. As always, you can get 40% off a subscription at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. Find Eno on Twitter at Eno Saris. Find me at Derek Van Riper. Hit us up via email, rates and barrels at theathletic.com. If you'd like to reach us, be sure to spell it and if you go that route. We are back with you Tuesday. Have a safe and happy holiday weekend. Thanks for listening. <laughs>